thank you again and love you, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen. Everybody dry and warm? Hope so. Um, quick question. Uh, who in here likes change? <laughs> Boo! Right, we got, got a few boos. What, what about um, uh, a change maybe in uh, diet? Okay, so, so there's some good change and bad change. Okay, I like hamburgers as much as the next guy, but if you had to eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, you would, you would want change. Right, so so there's some change that we welcome. We we actually welcome the change in weather. Right, we we really needed the rain, so uh, that that that's a good change. Um, but maybe there are some some other changes that we like, and so not not all change is bad. We we welcome uh, a change in clothes after a hard day's work. Right, so so there's some change um, that that's good, and and other change maybe not. Maybe a, a change in your job or uh, a, a change in your family situation. And so it's, it's kind of a hard question to answer. Do you like change? So it depends on what change you're talking about, right? B- because sometimes change is, is painful, uh, but, but sometimes change is welcome. See, the truth is, and our life is filled with change, and sometimes the old becomes incompatible with the new. So sometimes things change, and when that things change, the old thing becomes incompatible with the new thing. Let me give you an example. I'm going to lose like 90% of the room, but just go with this example and, and I'll get back to you, okay? So if you were to take your vinyl record, okay, and put it in your eight-track player, okay, it would not work. They, they are incompatible, right? The, the, the old thing is incompatible with the new thing because things changed and the, th- the thing that was new made the old obsolete. Okay, so if you took your cassette tape, right, if you had a Carmen cassette tape, right, okay, and you you took your cassette tape and put it in your 8-track player, it would not work. Okay, and in the same way, if you took your cassette and you put it in your CD player, right, and, and tried to play, it, it wouldn't work. Okay, so now I'm, I'm catching everybody back up, okay, all the generations are united at this point. If you took your MP3 player, your iPod, and put it into your CD player and hit play, it would not work because something changed and that new thing made the old thing obsolete, incomplete, and incompatible, right? This is, this is the way of things. So if, if you picked up your cell phone, text message to your old beeper, right, it would not work. Now, you could send a numeric, a number to that beeper, which was a text message. Nobody knows what I'm talking about right now. Okay, 225563, call me, right? Y'all know. But, but sometimes, okay, sometimes when things change, when, when there's something new, it makes the old thing incomplete, right? Just where, where have all the blockbusters gone? Okay, one word, Netflix, right? That's, that's what happened. You can't, uh, you know, go to Blockbuster, rent a VHS, and go home and play it through your Roku player on Netflix, 
the, the old, right, has, has changed and the new thing made the old thing obsolete and incomplete and, and it no longer um, functions. So why do I bring up all that silly stuff? Well, I, I bring it up for this very reason. When it comes to man's relationship with God, there are two structures, the old and the new, which are simply incompatible with one another. There, there are simply two structures. So we can look out at the landscape of religion and see uh, that, that there are many religions, right? But ultimately, simplistically, if we boil everything down, there are only two structures. There is the old structure and there is the new structure, and the two structures are incompatible with one another. Here is what I mean when I say an old structure or the old system. The old system states, a good God will reward nice people for doing their best. That's the old system. That's the old structure. This is what most humans believe. They believe that a good God will reward good people. That if you're nice, if you do your best, then God will love you. He will, he will reward you. He'll care for you as long as you're a good person and you do your best. This is what most people believe. This is what most religions hold, right? So, so if, you are, um, if you practice Judaism, uh, in order to be a good Jew, you must follow the Torah, you, you must obey the rules. You must strive hard. You must do your best. It's, it's, it's based on your work and your merit to um, morally uh, adhere yourself to what the Torah, what those uh, ancient texts, the Old Testament has to say. Your standing with God is based on what you do, i.e., follow Torah. That, that's what it means to be a good Jewish person. That, that's the old system by definition. If, you're, um, if you practice Islam, if you're a Muslim, uh, being a Muslim is all about following the, the five pillars of Islam. And if you can faithfully follow the five pillars of Islam, then you will have good standing with Allah. Uh, which is um, make the creedal confession. There is only one God and Muhammad is his prophet. You, you have to um, uh, give alms to the poor. Uh, you have to uh, pray five times a day. Uh, you, you have to fast during the month of Ramadan. And uh, the fifth one is if you're an able-bodied Muslim, at least one time in your life, you have to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. Now, if you can follow the five pillars of Islam, then you will have a right standing with God. So it's about you doing your best. This is the old system. Even if you're a Hindu, Hindus believe uh, in karma. And so your whole life is devoted to um, creating good karma. And if you can create enough good karma, you can eventually get out of the cycle of reincarnation, death, and physical rebirth. You eventually get out of that cycle and move into nirvana. Uh, no, not the band. Uh, you move into nirvana, which is a state of full and total uh, peace and complete release from all uh, uh, physical restraints and pain and, and that sort of thing. So it's all about you doing your best to get good karma, to relieve yourself, to release yourself from constant reincarnation. That's the old system by definition. That's the old system. So, so from Judaism to Islam to Hinduism, even right down to um, what I simply call American paganism, okay? Now, if you're not familiar with that religion, I promise you are. Okay, here, here is uh, American paganism. American paganism states this, me and God have our own thing. 
right? So you, you know this religion, okay? This is, this is a massive religion sweeping our nation. It's called me and God have our own thing worked out. It's my own personal religion. Uh, you know, me and God, we, we have our own thing worked out. And as long as I'm a good person, I do my own thing, um, God will reward nice people who try their best, and I'm trying my best. I'm following my own moral code as defined by me, not defined by God, but as defined by me, and God understands, right? Because only God can judge me. So all of that boiled down, right down at the heart of it is, God rewards nice people who do their best. That's the old system. And you see, the old system, man-made system, is completely and totally incompatible with the new system, with the new way. What is the new system or what is the new way? I'm glad you asked. Here it is. The new system is that God redeems and saves those who place their trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the new system. That's what Jesus steps into human history to put on display, the new way, the new system. Here it is. This new way is totally and completely incompatible with the old. They don't work together. You can't try to marry them. You can't try to mix them. It doesn't work. Jesus shows up to offer a totally, completely new and different way. This is the new way. The, the new way, the new system is that God redeems and saves. God redeems and saves because we can't save ourselves. We have offended a holy God and there's no way we can make it right. We, we, can't, we can't pay him back. We don't have the right type of currency. Let, let me give you an example. My my daughter, Lydia, loves to play shopkeeper, is what she calls it. Let, let's play shopkeeper, and she'll go get her little toy cash register, and she will hand it to me, and, and I'll have to sit there and pretend to be the shopkeeper, and she will gather up some of her toys, and she'll enter into the shop to buy those toys. The problem is, in reality, she doesn't have the right currency. She'll go get like little torn up pieces of paper or like find other little toys and pretend that they're money to pay me, even though I already own the toys that she's playing with. I own the toys that she's trying to buy from me with fake money, right? This is the insanity of us trying to work our way back to being right with God. So God must save because we cannot save ourselves. And how it is that we are saved is by placing our personal trust in the work that Jesus has done. Now, it is not simply mentally acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross. You must take it a step further and believe that Jesus' death on the cross was for you. So it has nothing to do with how hard you work, how much you do, how closely you follow the rules. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with your standing with God has to do with what you believe about Jesus' work on the cross. What did he do there? Was it for me? This is how we have right standing with God. So we are only justified, made right, forgiven, and free by believing, personally trusting that Jesus' work on the cross was for me. Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, justified, meaning made right with God, justified, meaning uh, God declares all of our past, present, and future sins forgiven and applies his righteousness to us so that we can have right standing with God. That is, justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith. Listen, just listen to this. Listen to this. 
we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You, you're standing in grace this morning. Amen, somebody. Come on, help me out today. You're standing in grace this morning because of faith, not, not because you read your Bible, not because you went to Bible study, not because you grew up in church, not because granny took you to church, not because you carry a King James Bible or ESV Bible, not because you fast, not because you know all the lyrics to Amazing Grace, all the verses, none of that. It has to do, your standing with God has to do with faith, and you have obtained access into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It is by faith alone. The old system of doing your best and being a good person is totally incompatible with the new system, which is based on faith and is based on grace. So, the person who is saved by no merit of their own is then driven not to disregard God and his ways, rather they find freedom in striving, right? So, so I don't strive so that I'm accepted by God. I'm accepted by God, therefore I strive. This is the total opposite of the other system. The old system says, strive so that you are accepted. The new system says, strive because you're already accepted. Old system, new system. Totally incompatible with one another. So if you're taking notes, jot this down. Free grace and unmerited favor cannot be stitched into a works-based righteousness. The new life Jesus has come to give cannot be contained inside of man-made religion. Okay, so, so free grace and unmerited favor, that's what we get from God. Free grace, unmerited, meaning you didn't earn it favor. He just loves you. He just sets his love upon you. Free grace, unmerited favor, cannot be stitched into a works-based righteousness, meaning I'm trying to get in good with God by working real hard. You can't do that. Th those two things do not work. It's, it's putting your vinyl record into the eight-track player. It does not work, right? It's taking your cassette and putting it in the CD player. It does not work. They're incompatible. Old system, new system. The new life Jesus has come to give cannot be contained inside of man-made religion. Work hard, be a good person, and God will love you. Th those two things are incompatible with one another. So here's my hope today. Here we go. I want someone to shed off old religion today and receive the new wine of Christ. I, I want us to leave out of here today knowing, living, breathing in the new way, the new system, not the old way, not the old system, where we're constantly under strain trying to strive and gain God's acceptance. Oh, if I just work hard enough, if I just read my Bible enough, if I just pray enough, if I just sing loud enough when the band plays, if, if I can just do all of the right things and help little old ladies across the street and smile even when I'm angry, if I can be nice to my boss, then God will love me. I want us to get rid of that. I want that to be shed off today. I want us to, 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 to pull a Taylor Swift on it and shake it off today, right? I want us to shake off that old religion, that man-made religion, and realize that there's grace. It's free grace. It's unmerited favor. God just loves us today because we are in him, because we have faith in him and faith in him alone. That's it. 
So, so that's my hope today. I, I want someone to completely and utterly abandon all hope in their works to save them or to sustain their salvation, resulting in tossing their whole selves totally onto Christ. That's, that's my hope today, that we would leave today totally and completely abandoning our works, putting them aside, tossing them off, shaking them off, and, and totally throwing our whole selves onto Christ for our acceptance in him. That, that's, that's my hope today. That's, that's, what, that's what I want to see happen. Let's get into our text today. Mark chapter 2. Go ahead and get out your Bibles and get this text in front of you. That way you know I'm not just rambling on, but I'm actually speaking truth from God's word. Mark chapter 2. I'm going to jump into verse 18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Okay, so, so we've got two groups of people, and they're doing something. And the question is to Jesus, why aren't you doing that? Okay, so, so who are these two groups of people? Well, uh, now John's disciples, this is John the baptizer. We met him back in chapter one as we were studying this book. Uh, he was the guy that dressed funny, right? He, he dressed a little weird. Uh, he was kind of out in the wilderness, but he had a massive following. People were coming to him, and his message was repent, uh, get ready for somebody who's coming, and that person who was coming uh, was Jesus. And, and, and John being, uh, you remember he had a weird, not only did he have weird dress, but he also had a weird diet, right? He, he ate locusts and honey. Um, uh, apparently, sometimes he was laying off the, the locusts and honey and, and was eating no food at all and was fasting. And, and his disciples, the people who were following John, uh, apparently were also fasting, okay? So there's another group of people in here as well. We talked about them a little bit last week. Well, uh, these are the Pharisees, and, and the Pharisees also have a following. So, so the Pharisees were, were a religious group uh, in Jesus' day and time, and they also um, had followers. So uh, he, here's a little bit about the Pharisees. Uh, they had a heart to follow God and obey him. This is what the Pharisees wanted to do. They, they wanted to follow God. They wanted to be holy. They wanted to be righteous. Uh, as a matter of fact, they hated um, all of the cultural change that was happening around them. You see, uh, uh, Israel had been taken over by Rome, and Rome had come in and set up their own governments and structures. They, they had Roman overlords. And so, I mean, you, you talk about two different cultures. I mean, vastly between the Romans and, and the Jews, vastly different ideas of uh, family, marriage, sex, politics, money. I mean, they, they couldn't have been more divided, more separate, more different on all of those issues, on I mean, just two different worldviews. Well, some of the Jews had begun to be a little bit more Roman in the way that they talked and the way that they dressed and the way that they viewed uh, sexuality and society and money and, and all those type things. And the Pharisees were staunchly against that. They said, no, no, no cultural change at all. We don't want any of that. We, we want to obey God. We are good Jews. We must follow the rules. That's, that's who these guys were. 
And so as a result, here's what they did. They really, really wanted to follow the rules and obey God. So these guys created rules to follow the rules. Now, if you remember, we talked about this last week. I I said one of the rules to follow the rules was um, you weren't allowed to take a bath on the Sabbath. Okay, because if you take a bath on the Sabbath, some water might get on the floor. And if water gets on the floor, you've got to clean that water up. And if you clean that water up, that's work, and you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. Therefore, no bathing on the Sabbath. Here's another fun one. Uh, they, women were not allowed to look in a mirror on the Sabbath. That's right. Because if a woman looked in a mirror on the Sabbath, she might see a gray hair. And if she saw that gray hair, she might be tempted to pluck that gray hair. And if she plucked that gray hair, that would be work. And you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. Therefore, no looking in the mirror on the Sabbath. Okay. So, so these guys created rules about the rules about the rules, even down to numbering the amount of steps that you were allowed to take on the Sabbath. So, so here's the problem. Though that sounds like a good idea, okay, so, so we want to create rules so that we don't break the rules because we want to honor and love and serve God, right? That sounds like a good idea. Here is why it's a terrible idea. We can't get the first 10 rules right, <laughs> right? Much less creating other rules for the rules. So uh, uh, don't lie, don't covet, uh, obey your parents, have no other gods before me. I mean, is, has anybody, like, I've nailed all those. You could, you know, keep, keep on going with the rest of the list. I, I, I can stop the list right there because we, we did, we, I mean, we can't even get past number one, have no other God before me, much less creating other rules to follow the rules. And, and so that was kind of the, the problem um, with the Pharisees and, and kind of where, where they went wrong. I mean, the, the, the problem was they elevated their tradition to the place of ultimate authority. And, and, and so again, it wasn't just about not working on the Sabbath. They were measuring how righteous you are. You're standing with God on whether you took a bath or looked in the mirror. So they, they had elevated their tradition, the rules they came up with, they elevated that right next to God's word. In addition, they sinfully walked in great pride over their ability to keep the rules. Again, it it wasn't about a heart's affection for God. It it was about bathing and looking in mirrors and how many steps you took. And and so they created rules that they could follow, and then they looked down on other people because they weren't following the rules that they had made up. In addition, they underestimated their own sinfulness. Now, let me just give a warning to us, okay? Uh, because again, it's, it's cold and rainy, and, and so we, we've got the faithful here today, in Jesus' name, amen, right? Let, let me just give a word of warning to us. As, as we read the gospel accounts, we, we love to look at the Pharisees and look down on them. We, we love to believe that there we are standing next to Jesus, and we are wagging our fingers right along with him at the Pharisees, going, oh, you Pharisees, you think you're better than everybody else. When the reality is, those of us who grew up in the church, grew up in the Christian South, those of us who uh, have regular, practice regular spiritual disciplines, we are way more like the Pharisees than what we really want to admit. So, John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees, they they had this thing where they loved to fast, okay? So, we can be just like 
these Pharisees. Listen to what Jesus has to say about the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 27 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So they followed all the rules. They did all of the right things, but inside they did not have a heart that loved God, wanted to serve God and be for God. Okay. So these guys were fasting. Okay. What is a fast? What, what does that mean? Well, you can jot this down. A fast is when you abstain from food in order to know God and glorify him in a deeper way. Okay, that's what a fast is. It, it's when you abstain from food. Um, in the Bible, that's what they were doing. You, uh, obviously, we know that um, in, in modern times, we've created different types of fast, technology fasts and things like that. Uh, biblically speaking, it's when they abstain from food in order to know God and glorify him in a deeper way. Um, so sometimes people would abstain from just food. We know Jesus did this several times in, in his ministry. He fasted. You could also fast from food and water. Uh, the apostle Paul did this for three days after his conversion. He fasted for three days. He didn't eat anything. He didn't drink anything. Uh, you, you could also fast from certain types of food. As we traveled through the book of Daniel, we discovered that Daniel and his friends uh, fasted from meat and, and certain types of delicacies and things like that as, as a fast unto God. Uh, and, and so that's what these people were doing. So in the Old Testament, this is important. In the Old Testament, there is a command to fast on the Day of Atonement. Okay, the Day of Atonement was a very important, very religious uh, holiday for the Jewish people. It, it's when the high priest would come and, and, and he would take all the sins of the nation and he would lay it onto a, a, a ram or a lamb and then that lamb would be slaughtered uh, as, as a sacrifice, uh, as a payment to God for the sins of the nation. And so it was a, a really high, holy, important holiday and the command was to fast on that Day, But here's the problem. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees decided that in order to be really, really holy, in order to get God to love you even more, in order to show everybody how holy you were, they weren't going to fast just that one day that they were commanded. They were going to fast even more. As a matter of fact, they were going to fast not just once a week, but twice a week. That's how holy they were. They were going to fast on Monday and on Thursday. Right? If Monday wasn't terrible enough, these guys are fasting on Monday. And they're also fasting on Thursday. They fasted twice a week. Listen to what Jesus has to say from Luke 18, 19 through 14. Jesus uh, tells this parable. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That, that's the old system, right? That's the old system we were talking about. These guys trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast how many times a week? Twice. I fast twice a week. This is how awesome he is. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Listen to what Jesus responds. 
I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The, the old system didn't work. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exhaust, exalted. Okay? So, they were fasting. They were fasting a lot. These Pharisees, they were faster than anyone, right? So, the question, back to the text. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came. People, what people? Doesn't really say. A, a group of people. There's, this was kind of a common consensus. People, the, the people were looking at these religious people. Okay, John, he's very religious. A lot of people following him. The Pharisees, they're very religious. A lot of people following them. And people were confused. And the people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? This was very puzzling for them. I mean, just imagine that you guys read Christian books and download Christian sermons and, you know, go to Christian website. And, and, and we have these people that we look up to, right? Just imagine the guy that you look up to, you found out he doesn't read his Bible or go to church. Or you'd be like, what? Why does it? You see, for them, fasting was commonplace. It's not commonplace here because we live in America, right? Nobody fasts here. Uh, we do the opposite. Um, and so it was very strange to them because fasting was a common thing. So it was strange that Jesus wasn't doing this. And, and so they asked Jesus this question, why, why don't you fast? In addition, where did we last see Jesus? Anybody remember? Look back at your text. He, he called Levi Right? Th then they go to a, yeah, they go to a tax collector's house where they're doing what? Eating. They're having a big party, right? And we're assuming it must have been on a Wednesday, on a Monday or a Thursday, right? It's a, it's a Monday or a Thursday. There's all the, the Pharisees. They're, they're standing outside the tax collector's house because they'd never go in just to see what Jesus would do. And they're thinking, oh, it's a fast day. We're, we're very you know, concerned about what Jesus is going to do because he's at this party. We wonder if he's going to be fasting like us, you know, because we're holy and righteous and we're pretty awesome. I wonder if Jesus is going to be like us. But there's Jesus and he's chowing down. So they're very, they're very confused. Verse 19. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Okay, so, so he gives this picture. He, he gives this analogy of, of a wedding, okay? Now, uh, weddings for them are really different than our weddings, okay? So we go to a wedding. Uh, one, they cost way too much money. Uh, two, the details are way too obsessed over, okay? Your wedding guests do not care what color the tablecloths are, in Jesus' name. Um, and, and then, you know, you sit there, the, the pastor talks, he rarely mentions Jesus, which is odd. Uh, they read a verse out of context, you know, the bride and groom awkwardly look at each other, then everybody watches them awkwardly kiss, you know. Uh, then you go to a party that lasts maybe like an hour, you eat really tiny food, people awkwardly dance, the whole thing's awkward, uh, and then you go home, okay? That's our concept of weddings, Okay? At least mine anyway. If you have a different one, I apologize. Um, for them, weddings were a deal, like a big deal, like a whole week long big deal, seven days. I mean, it, this isn't like a few hours, you know, at, at the, the Moose Lodge, you know. Um, th this is like a big deal. 
where they would, I mean, family members from everywhere would come in from out of town. Uh, you would eat and drink and dance and laugh, and it lasted an entire week. This was a, a festive, happy occasion. I mean, they really valued family. They, they, they had, uh, you know, like next to no divorce rate. And so when people got married, it was for life, and it was a big deal. It was a big, big ceremony. And so to fast during that time would be socially inappropriate. You, you wouldn't show up and go, oh, I'm, I'm glad to be here at the wedding, but uh, I can't have anything. I'm fasting. You know, that, that would, no, 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 you can't do that. We're here to party, right? We're going to eat, we're going to drink, laugh, dance, and have a great time. That is the analogy. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the groom at the party. And so when people are with me, because I'm the groom at the wedding feast, that's what being around me is like. It's like being at a big party. Um, you got to eat. You, you got to hang out. That's, that's what Jesus is saying, right? So Jesus is telling them by giving this wedding analogy, the way in which you are thinking about your relationship with God is all wrong. The closer to God you draw, the more joy there should be. That, that, that's what Jesus is saying. No, no, we can't fast. Fasting is a solemn time. This is a joyous time because, because I am here. So, so listen, the, the groom at a wedding doesn't stand at the door and be like, all right, let's check out your wedding gifts before you get to come into the party, right? Open it up. Oh, toaster, get out of here. No, 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 no. Bring on the better gifts. You know, okay, oh, that's a good gift. Okay, great. You've done your work. You can come into the party and have fun. That's not how it works. The, the groom just welcomes people into the party and, and they celebrate. That, that's, that's the analogy here. So again, if you're taking notes, jot this down. The old system was somber, solemn, and serious. You, you had better follow all the rules and not make one mistake or you're out of here, mister. But Jesus offers a system of love, joy, and acceptance that is not built on rule following, but on grace. Right? It, it, it's not about following the rules to get into the party, but, but, it's, but it's about being welcomed into the party by Jesus and experiencing great joy. Now, we can make a simple application at this point and just say Christians uh, probably should party a little more, right? The, the Christians should get together more uh, Christians should enjoy good food more. Christians should laugh more uh, and be filled with joy because being with Jesus is like being at a giant party. And we're with Jesus. We're one with Christ. That's the analogy that he's making here. He's, he's like, being with me is like being at a big, fun, joy-filled party. So, so I don't understand why Christians are such sticks in the mud, Right? We should, of all people, be the most joyous, the most fun to be around, you know, cracking jokes, having a good time, eating good food, spending time with one another, laughing, singing, dancing. This should be uh, the, the natural posture of a Christian. So there's also something deeper here. There's also something deeper here. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is still with them? Obviously, in this analogy, Jesus himself is the bridegroom. That, that's what he's saying. So not only is he saying the old system of you doing all the right things in order to gain favor from God, that old system doesn't work. There's a new system where you just get invited in by the groom to party. I'm that groom. 
He's saying something else. Listen, listen to this scripture from Isaiah 54, 5 through 6. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieving in spirit. Like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. What is Jesus saying about himself as he refers to himself as the bridegroom? Well, he's saying he's God. He's revealing to them that they're welcome to come into the party. They're welcome to be redeemed by him. And he has the authority to welcome them into the party because he is fully God, fully man, sent on a mission to come create the new system, the new way for God's people to be redeemed. That's good news. That's good news. The God-man has come to show us what the kingdom is going to be like. Um, I, I was at a, a party one time, um, and you know, it, it's always awkward uh, when you're at a party and people find out that you're a pastor. Um, you know, they immediately like you know hold their drinks behind their back or you know stop using swear words and things like that. But I got into a conversation with a guy, and uh, he he basically said something like this. You know, I'd you know th that religion stuff isn't for me. I'd rather go to hell anyway. You know why? Because all my friends are going to be there, and we're going to party, right? His idea was that's where all of his friends are going to be, and so he can go there and drink beer and, you know, do whatever, uh, because that's what hell was going to be like. He, he couldn't have been more mistaken. You see, that's not where the real party is. <laughs> Jesus is painting this picture of a wedding feast with dancing and eating and drinking, right? That, that's the picture here. Heaven, the eternal wedding feast. That's what heaven is. It's an eternal wedding feast. It's a big giant banquet with dancing and eating and drinking. But listen, without any of the sin which leads to shame, you see, that, that type of debauchery that, that he was thinking about, he, exploiting all those things eventually leads to sin and our shame. But Jesus has a way where we can enjoy food, enjoy drink, enjoy dancing eternally, which doesn't lead to sin and doesn't lead to shame. That is the true party. That's where he really wanted to be. He just didn't get it. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into eternally an eternal wedding feast not based on how good we do not based on our track record not based on our merit jesus is welcoming us into the eternal wedding feast because he is god he is the groom he's saying hey come on in come on in verse 20 the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. Now, this is where the analogy kind of starts to break down, um, culturally speaking. Because for them, just like us, the groom doesn't leave the wedding. That's weird. If the groom leaves the wedding, that's usually a bad sign, right? In the same way, that was their cultural practice. The guests leave, right? And the bride and groom are there. And they start their life together. Um, the, the groom doesn't leave, the guests leave, just like our weddings. But, but here, Jesus makes this very odd statement and says that the groom is going to be taken away, and when the groom is taken away, then they will fast. What does he mean? Well, Jesus is obviously referring to his death. 
Listen, Jesus was not the victim of uh, a, a difficult uh, political and religious environment which led to his death. Jesus was on a mission to die. And Jesus knew that that was coming. And so he says it very clearly in this analogy that the groom is going to be taken away. And in that time, they will fast. Now, um, what we know is that in that time, they did fast. When Jesus died on the cross, uh, his disciples did fast. We know that because every time Jesus, when, when Jesus comes back to life, when he resurrects, when he appears to his disciple, there's always eating involved. Remember when he's walking on the beach? And, and they're out there fishing. This is in John chapter 21. They're out there fishing and, and Jesus walks up on the beach and they hadn't caught anything. And Jesus says, hey, throw your net on the other side. You guys remember in this story? Remember what he does next? He, on, the, on the beach, he makes a fire and cooks fish. And when they show up, he says, eat, because they had been fasting. Uh, in the same way, when he appears to them uh, in the house, when all the doors were locked and they can't believe it's him, and he asked them, hey, let's eat. Do you guys have any fish? And he eats fish. So, so there's eating associated because his disciples uh, in that time were fasting. But this text almost begs the question for us, what does this mean uh, for us today? He said, when the groom is taken away, my disciples were fast. So is this that day from that verse? So when we became a Christian, we received the spirit of Christ inside of us, right? I am his and he is ours. So in a way, we have Christ, right? So he is with us. So does that mean we should not fast? Or because he ascended into heaven and is not with us and we are awaiting his return, we should fast. Which is it? Should we be feasting or should we be fasting? Jot this down. It's kind of a long one, so you might have to write quickly. We are in the already not yet of the kingdom. Okay? We are in the already not yet of the kingdom. This is what us reformed guys like to refer to as the already not yet of the kingdom. We are in the already not yet of the kingdom. Jesus came to give us salvation, joy, meaning, hope, peace, and purpose through his death, burial, and resurrection, which he has done. Has Jesus given us salvation? Yes. Has he given us meaning, purpose, hope, joy? Has, do we have that right now? Yes, we, we have that. Okay? Present, currently, yes, we have that. But all of that will only be fully realized the day of his return. For the Christian, this means there should be times of feasting and times of fasting. Okay, so, so yes, we have received salvation, but listen, we are not completely and fully saved yet. That happens when he returns and, and, and essentially destroys all of our enemies and sets up his new kingdom. That is when we become fully, completely saved. So do we have joy today? Yes, but we will be in fullness of joy at his return. Do we have peace today? Absolutely. We have the peace that comes through Jesus Christ, but that peace will be fully realized when Jesus sets up his kingdom reign. So there's a sense of an already not yet of the kingdom. So when it comes to fasting, what that means is uh, we should be a people of feasting, right? Lots of fun, lots of joy, going over to each other's houses, throwing stuff on the barbecue, cutting up, laughing, singing, dancing. And there should be times of fasting, times of fasting for specific situations, I write here, to mortify sin in us and to certainly for his ultimate return. So Christians, we should fast. We, we should take times and seasons and days and, and maybe even weeks to fast for certain situations. Maybe it's your marriage. 
Maybe it's your work situation. Listen, maybe your heart is broken because this country keeps killing children inside the womb and you want to fast that God would come and sweep this nation and change that. Maybe you want to fast for our our new leadership that's coming over our country. Maybe you want to fast to stop domestic violence. I mean, there's, there's plenty of situations to fast for. You can also fast to mortify sin, knowing that that there's a particular sin that you're walking in and you know you need the power of Christ to come into your life and and to, to help you kill that sin, to mortify that sin. That'd be a great reason to fast. And certainly, friends, certainly let us fast for the return of Christ. But we should never fast to show God or others how spiritual we are. Right? That's not the point. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Listen to this from Matthew 6, 16. And when you fast, so, so Jesus is saying here, fast. Okay. So the question is, do we fast or do we feast? The answer is yes, there should be times of feasting and times of fasting because Jesus right here clearly says we should fast. And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that, uh, that their fasting may be seen by others. When, when they fasted, they didn't take baths. Uh, they didn't fix their hair, right? They, you know, so, so you could see, you know, the Pharisees, you know, stumbling through the streets, you know, just making a spectacle of themselves, hair all jacked up. Oh, guys, I'm sorry, I've been fasting, you know. That, that would kind of be how they would present themselves, for they disfigure their faces from fasting, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What's their reward? Everybody saw them fasting. Okay, good. There's your pat on the back. There's your reward. They've got their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So what Jesus um, says and does next uh, is essentially give two parables that are going to bolster uh, what he has already said. Okay, you guys still with me? Can can we keep going a little bit more? I think we got the temperature too comfortable in here and you guys are a little sleepy. Okay, last week freezing cold, this week too comfortable. We're going to go back to freezing cold next week. All right. (laughs) Verse... 21. Listen to what he says. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. Now, uh, God has blessed me with uh, awkward body shape. Um, so I, I, all my life, I've worn a smedium, okay? That's the size of shirt that I wore. Uh, it's, it's when a small is too small and a medium is too big, so, you, so really you need a medium. So I would buy a medium-sized shirt and take it home and wash it and dry it so that it would shrink, right? And, and I've done that all my life until I hit like 20, 29, 30, a few years back, and uh, then the Lord blessed me with a marge, okay? So my body changed into a marge to where, um, you know, mediums now are too small, and larges are too big. Again, it's my lot in life. So, uh, and this is way more information than any of you care to know. I'd now take a large and I, and I wash it so that it shrinks into that marge area. So um, what, what Jesus is, is saying here is it's a very simple analogy. If you take a new piece of cloth, okay, that has not been washed and, and shrunk down, 
and you attach it to an old garment that has been washed and shrunk down, what's going to happen is that cloth, the patch that's on there is going to shrink. And when it shrinks, it's going to tear a bigger hole in the garment. So you don't do that. You don't take what uh, this new thing and add it to the old thing because the new thing is incompatible with the old thing. It doesn't work. They, they, don't, they don't go together. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I don't fit into man-made religion. I, I, I tear it up. I, I don't fit works-based righteousness. You see, Jesus is not just a tiny patch that you sew onto your torn life to fix a hole. Okay, I, listen, I, I spent years in youth ministry and I never saw this more in youth ministry than I have anywhere else. People trying to sew a tiny patch of Jesus onto a torn hole. I, I, I would get so many parents coming to me and saying, here, take him, fix him, right? I, I found pot in his room or, you know, he snuck out last weekend or, you know, he's been having premarital sex. Here, take, fix it. And what they, want me, they, what they wanted me to do as the youth pastor was to sew a Jesus patch on this hole that had been created. And the, and the problem is they needed a whole new garment. The, the, the parent didn't love Jesus. The parent wasn't devoted to Jesus. The parent hadn't been telling their child about Jesus. They just wanted to shove them off on the youth pastor so that he could sew the Jesus patch on there to get it fixed. And that's not how it works. And so many of us see that we have an issue in our marriage, and instead of changing our whole life to be devoted to Jesus, we just want to sew a tiny Jesus patch onto our marriage. We've got this issue at our job, um, and instead of trying to devote our whole life to Jesus, we just want to sew a Jesus patch on our job. We just want to sew a Jesus patch on our finances. Oh, God, help me with my finances. Of course, I'm not going to be devoted to you. I'm not going to show up to church on Sunday, go to Bible study. I'm not going to do any of that stuff that shows my loyalty and love and devotion for you. I just want you to fix my money. And Jesus says that doesn't work. You can't sew a Jesus patch. You, you need a, a whole new thing. Jot this down. Jesus is not a patch. He's a whole new suit. A good looking suit, right? Jesus ain't no shabby suit, right? I mean, this is like Armani. This is, like, this is Jesus is a whole new suit and it's a good looking suit. It, it, it's not like the old system to where you're trying to work and you're trying to, you, you know, so you're just sewing patches all over the place. You got this old ragtag looking old beat down, busted up suit with patches all over it. Jesus is saying, no, I've got a whole new suit for you to put on. A whole new way, a whole new way of grace. You cannot add Jesus to the old system. It will not work. He is offering something new altogether. It's a new way of grace. It's a way to get you off of the treadmill. Anybody feel like they're on the treadmill this morning? Just working and working and working, trying to get God to love you, trying to get God to acknowledge you, trying to get favor with God, just working, 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 trying, trying, trying. Jesus says, step off of that treadmill and step into this new suit. So stop trying to sew the patch on, get, get off the treadmill and, and put on this new suit. He gives another short parable in this way. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins, but new wine is for fresh wineskins. Now, this, this one's a little bit strange for us because we don't, you know, we don't know what he's talking about here. So um, here's what they would do. And if you're an animal lover, just do like this, and I'll tell you when you can do like this. Um, they would kill a big, oh, sorry, do like this. Okay. 
they would kill a baby goat. Okay, you can do like this one. No, they would, that, I already said it. Um, and then they would take um, all of the stuff they needed to make wine and they would put it inside the skin, okay? And they would sew it up. Now, what happens in the winemaking process, and we're like getting into like super nerdy science territory here, but here we go. Um, what happens is when the yeast gets in there, it eats the sugars. And when yeast eats sugar, it produces alcohol and a gas known as CO2, okay? When that gas is created, it expands. But again, like I said, everything's sewn up inside of that skin. And so the skin expands. That's why they have to use a baby goat because the skin is fresh and supple. And so the, the, the skin will expand, expand, expand until the fermentation process is over. And then they can open it up and pour it out and drink the wine, right? Sounds delicious out of the inside of the baby goat, right? Um, they would cure it first, okay? So it's, it didn't have like floating baby goat parts in it. Anyway, now... I've gone, I'm, I'm coming back, I'm coming back, just stay with me. So, what would happen is, over time, once they used that skin several times, um, it, it would no longer be supple, the, the, the skin would dry out. So, if you then tried to use that skin again, as it expanded, as the CO2 gas was released inside the skin, it would break and burst, and the skin would be ruined, um, and the wine would go all over the floor, okay? So that, that's the analogy. That's, that's what he's, he's saying. You don't put new wine uh, into old wineskin. So, so here's, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying what he offers is growing. It's new. It's alive, just like wine, and it cannot be contained in the old religious container. It, the old religious container of doing your best, trying really hard to get God to love you and trying to get, to, to get God to reward you, that that's the old container. And Jesus is saying, no, I've got something completely new and it's alive and it's growing and it's vibrant and, and it can't be put into the old container. It doesn't fit. It doesn't, it doesn't work. You cannot add Jesus to the old system of works righteousness. It will not work. They are incompatible. Now, if, if you're like me, okay, um, you know, I, I read my Bible. Uh, I, I think I have a, a pretty solid grasp on theology. I, I believe I am saved by grace and grace alone. But here's where I often find myself, that if I want to stay in God's grace, I'd better get to work. This is where I often find myself. Theologically, I know, saved by grace alone, through Christ alone, right? I know that, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, right? Tattoo it on my forehead, I got it. But I often find my heart drifting away from, yes, I know I've been saved by grace, but if I'm gonna stay in that grace, I'd better get to work. Jesus says, nope, that's the old system. My grace not only saves you, it sustains you. Now, I'll close with this. Friends, will you forsake the old and enjoy the new? That's the question we must answer today. Are we willing to forsake the old, to get rid of it, to be done with it? The old system is out, right? Stop trying to put the vinyl record in the eight-track player, right? Stop trying to put your MP3 player in the CD player. The two things are incompatible. They do not work. One is the old, one is the new. Are you willing to forsake the old and just say, you know what? I am Today's the day. I'm going to stop trusting in my works to gain acceptance before God. Today's the day. I'm done with that. I'm over it. I'm tired of it. I got to get off the treadmill before I pass out. Would you, would you get off the treadmill today before you pass out? 
Are you willing to forsake the old and accept this new way, this radical way, this, this insane way of just being loved and accepted by God because he's a God who loves and accepts sinners? Are you willing to forsake the old today and enjoy the new? It's enjoyment. That, that's what he's inviting us into. He's inviting us into a wedding feast, a party where they're singing and dancing in joy. That's, that's what he's saying. He's saying, get off of the treadmill and get into the party. That's what Jesus is saying today. So will you forsake the old and enjoy the new? Will you make it up in your mind today that you will shed off old religion, that you'll shake it off? Today receive the new wine of Christ completely and utterly abandon all your hope in your own works and totally, wholly, completely, 110% throw yourself on Christ today. Would you do that? Would you do that? Because when we do that, we're rejecting the old system we're walking in the new system, and in that system, there's a banquet, and there's a groom, and he says, come on, enjoy the party, and this is a party that lasts forever. It's, it's an eternal banquet of dancing and singing with our Lord Jesus if we would only accept his free gift of grace. Let's pray. Father, I pray that all of us would abandon all hope in our works, that we would see the error in the Pharisees and realize that you are what we need, that we have no righteousness in ourselves, that we can't work enough, we can't do enough, we don't have the right currency, and what we need is to throw ourselves on your mercy and your grace, and so uh, let us abandon all hope in ourselves today and place all of our hope in you. Um, let us walk into the banquet. Let us go into the wedding feast with joy, knowing that it is only by your grace that we're there. And so I pray this morning for a sense of total abandonment. I pray for a sense of um, just resting today, Lord. Give us spirits of rest, God. I, I pray now that people... Um, in their hearts would make it up in their minds to step off of the treadmill of performance, that they would stop trying to do all the right things, say all the right things because they're accepted, but in their hearts, in our hearts, Lord, let us know that we're already accepted and let that be the motivation to walk in holiness. We can only do that by your grace and by your power, and so we need you, Lord Jesus. We need you. Father, help us to reject the old and live in the new. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.